0: Hi, thanks for listening to our sermon podcast, Second on the Mount. I'm George Anderson, minister at Second Presbyterian in Roanoke, Virginia. I do not take it for granted that people sit in the pews on Sunday morning or listen to these podcasts hoping to hear something that connects them to God, to each other, to the world. And so I spend hours seeking the right word for the right time and said in the right way. I welcome your feedback. I encourage your sharing this sermon with anyone it might benefit. And I hope you'll return to this podcast again, or come visit us for worship. We'd be happy to have you. Let us pray. Holy God, we ask that as the word is enacted and read and proclaimed in sermon, that we have ears to hear and eyes to see and obey. Amen. Our four scripture lessons are very brief. They come from each of the four gospels. I bring them together as sort of a conversation about what we see and may miss. The first comes from the gospel of Matthew. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And from Mark, then he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. From Luke, and he said, Truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. And from John, Pilate asked him, So, you're a king. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king? For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate asked him, what is truth? The word of the Lord. You know, if you've been a pastor at a church long enough, you get by with retelling a story from the pulpit. After enough years, most of the people in the pews either were not here when you first told it, or have forgotten that they heard it. Years ago, I told of a Sunday at my previous church, Briarwood Presbyterian Church of Jackson, Mississippi, and I knew on that Sunday that the very next Sunday, I would have to tell the session and the congregation that I had accepted a call to serve Second Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. My love for and connection to the Briarwood Church was so strong that just keeping that secret, at times I felt physically ill. As I got into my car after worship that Sunday, knowing that it was the next Sunday when the secret would be revealed, I never felt worse. But then something happened. I turned onto Briarwood Drive and saw in the car ahead of me a Mississippi tag with the word Roanoke. Seeing the name of the city to which I was called on the tag of the state that I hated to leave made me feel better, as if this were God's call. It felt like a miracle. Or was it a coincidence? When I first told this story in a sermon, D. Moore came to me in the receiving line and she said, George, there is only one person on this entire planet that I know in the state of Mississippi. She lives in Jackson, Mississippi, and her first name is on her license plate. Her name is Roanoke McDonald. (laughs) Hearing that story, some would say, only a coincidence. I don't know if it was when he was here as an Edmunds lecturer or when I heard him somewhere else But I remember Tom Long saying that people can look at the world, they can look at a scene, and some could be enchanted and some not. Imagine Sheldon and Mary Cooper looking at the same sunset. Big Bang fans know that Sheldon is the agnostic physicist who loves to explain things to the less enlightened, meaning everyone, and Mary is his fundamentalist Christian mother. Mary says, oh, Sheldon, what a beautiful sunset. What vivid red. I see it as God painting the canvas of the sky to let us know that he loves us. And Sheldon responds, interesting facts about sunsets. At the end of the day, light has to travel further to reach our irises. And the light is diffused by air particles. It loses its blue because the blue is scattered from our line of sight. What remains are yellow." orange and red and by the way the red reaches us only when there are aerosol particles in the air so as long as you're giving credit to God for the sunset take a bow yourself for having used hairspray this morning (laughs) to which Mary says you know what else is red don't you the fires of hell from which Jesus can save you (laughs) who has the better view Is a beautiful sunset a sign of God's love or the logical result of natural phenomena? I mean, maybe they are both right, but they definitely see differently. Let's move to a different scene. It is about the same time, about when you would see sunsets, only there is no sunset in this sky. The sky is dark and boiling with moving clouds and rolling thunder. And the disciples are recklessly pitching in a boat and they are terrified. They do not think it is possible for them to be more afraid, but suddenly they see a ghost walking toward them. And then they see that it's Jesus coming toward them, walking, it seems, as if on water. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid, Jesus tells them. And then as our one verse from our passage in Mark 6, has already told us, Jesus gets into the boat and the sea calms. So what do the disciples see? A miracle? I don't know. The disciples in the boat do not find the calm that Jesus has or the calm that I found in seeing Roanoke and a Mississippi tag The storm, it seems, has moved inside them as confusion and maybe a different kind of fear. Mark 6 later tells us that they do not understand Jesus calming the sea because they did not understand what Jesus did earlier in the day when he managed to find some way to feed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fish. Jesus sees cause for calm. They see cause for concern. Let's jump to our one verse passage from Luke. It might tell us why, from a distance, we can be inspired by this story, but the disciples with boots on the ground, or rather with sandals on the floorboard of the boat, are concerned. No prophet is acceptable in the prophet's hometown, Jesus says. Ah. Maybe it's not because the disciples don't know Jesus well enough that they can't see with the eyes of faith. Maybe it's because they know him too well. They've laughed often at each other's expense. They they know about Jesus' eating habits and sleeping habits. They, they've heard how his mom is doing, and they've seen how he can cause trouble. We can imagine how this can happen. Someone among us can have a deep wisdom born of real encounters with God, but it's hard for those who know him well to forget that he's birthed a son who just six years earlier in college was one of the reasons that his college fraternity was put on probation. A stranger sees a sage, his homies see a goof-up. Now I'm sure Jesus is not speaking for every situation, I mean, after all, many of you remember Amy Starr when she was showing off her pretty dress as a child in the halls of Second Presbyterian Church. Some of you might remember Bill and David Klein when they hid in the projection booth in the fellowship hall so as to skip Sunday school. But you've had no problem when they've come home to preach to us or to teach us something. And you got to know Jennifer Powell and Jen Brothers as ordinary church members before they went to seminary but you welcome their pastoral leadership when they returned as interns. But still, you know what Jesus is talking about. It happens. My wife is a kindergarten teacher. She can tell you how two teachers can look at the same child and the one who has known the child for a long time, maybe had the child in the previous grade, tells that other teacher all about the problems. And here this child comes in fresh and this teacher sees potential. Both teachers can be right, you know. I know that from my own experience as a spacey kid. Some teachers saw potential in me when I was in elementary school. I remember every single one of them because those three were the exception. (laughs) Most of the school evaluations sent to my parents were not alerting them to their son's potential. I promise. And their evaluations were not wrong. They were helping in their own way. I'll say this, though, those few teachers who had an enchanted view, who saw something possible in me, helped me later see something in myself. In fact, let's give thanks right now for those people who have that gift of enchanted sight when looking at other people, that enchanted sight with people that most of us easily dismiss or don't understand. Jen could tell you about the House of Bread community. She could tell you about mentors and cooking instructors and other volunteers who see past the surface evidence of recent incarceration. And she could tell you about the recently incarcerated who can see past the surface privilege of those volunteers. They develop this enchanted view that helps them become friends, to find what they share in common, and become partners in a common cause. Now there should be times, shouldn't there, when all of us get it, when all of us have this enchanted view. Times with the evidence of God's goodness, for instance, when that goodness cannot be missed. Like when someone who was falsely accused, tried and convicted is then raised from the dead and stands among his broken hearted loved ones and followers, this risen Jesus speaks again. He eats with them again. He shows them the wounds in his flesh and tells them that he will meet up with them again in Galilee. Well, cannot everyone see the same? Cannot everyone believe? Who could not be enchanted? Some doubted, Matthew's gospel tells us. The evidence can be right there in front of you and still you'll find a reason not to believe it. I mean, turn that around, the same point can be made. In John's gospel, Jesus stands before Pilate The crowd outside wants him dead. People in high places want Jesus to disappear. Pilate sees an innocent man, but he also knows what he is supposed to see. So you are a king, Pilate asks him, because that is what Jewish leaders say that Jesus claims to be. You say that I am, Jesus answers, already knowing that Pilate has to stick to a script. What I really am, though, why I was born, is a truth-teller. And what is truth? Pilate asked him. What he perhaps really is saying, well, you know what? Here's my truth. I have people below my window and others I answer to who say that you're in the way. Obviously, Pilate's view is not enchanted. Realistic, perhaps. Political, certainly compromised, most definitely, but not enchanted. But look at Jesus standing there. Look at him with the lens of John's gospel. John sees in Jesus God's word made flesh. That's what he said at the beginning of the gospel. He sees someone who speaks the truth of justice, who demonstrates the truth of compassion, who works the truth of reconciliation, and he stands there he looks just like Pilate sees him, vulnerable with flesh that has been flogged and about to be pierced, but stands there with vulnerable strength as one who is willing to give his life for those he loves. And if it is true, as John's gospel says, that it's God who is standing there in him, well then, it's the whole world he loves, the whole world for whom he is willing to die. That is not saying that Pilate is wrong. Pilate is right. The cynical evaluations of power politics is real. But John's enchanted view is not wrong either, because there is this moral blue light shining through the prism of this person, shining through the prism of the real. It takes honest eyes to see what Pilate sees, but it takes different kind of eyes To see that maybe the blue that has been diffused and has not reached Pilate is shining through. Last Sunday, Reverend Link talked about the Bible as a lens. She then later talked about how faith has to be that lens as well. Well, on the day that I heard him speak, Long would speak of faith as the lens of enchantment. Even with the truth of what can worry or disillusion us, it's there, it's real. The lens of faith somehow can pick up on the glory and possibilities of life with God, even when the skies seems rolling and the thunder frightens us. And so we see differently. Some might see the weak as those who can easily be exploited. And you know what? They're right they can be easily exploited. But the eyes of faith see those whom Jesus would go out of his way to serve. Some might see aging bodies as getting in the way, whereas the eyes of faith can see elders to be honored. Some might see the law as a needed means to keep order and protect those one loves and what one has, and they are right, but the eyes of faith can see that justice for all is something that we need to fight for. Some might see privilege and possessions as something earned and to be saved, where the eyes of faith see resources to be shared, to build up the kingdom of God. Some see different and separate races and nations, but the eyes of faith just see different shades of one family of God. We had a baptism earlier. I wonder if you noticed. And when that baptism took place, some might be here. They might see a cute child in a beautiful gown, which Kristen got baptized in years ago. They might have seen the water being placed on Paisley Kay's head. And the parents, Robert and Kristen, promising to love Paisley, a congregation promising to love Paisley, all of us promising to take care of her and help raise her. They might have seen an adorable baby being walked up and down the aisle by a minister who is known for having a weak spot for babies. You know, that's enchanting enough, isn't it? I mean, even non-believers would be enchanted in that way. I mean, show anyone a cute baby or an adorable puppy or a kitten playing with string and we can't help but pause and be delighted. I mean, even with my two year old child, Emery, if I want her to be quiet and still for a little while, all I have to do is call up on my phone a video of babies or puppies and kittens, and she's fine for the next 15 minutes. But if we're speaking today of enchantment as seen with the lens of faith, we saw much more earlier. We saw a child claimed and redeemed by God, adopted as one of God's own, adopted as a sister of Jesus himself. We saw the water being placed on her forehead and maybe run down her cheek, and we saw grace running down that child's head and cheek. We heard the promises, and we really believe that if those promises are seriously kept, That little girl has a good shot at growing up with her own enchanted view of the world as something that God created, her own enchanted view of herself, an enchanted view of others as God's children, forgiven by grace, called to a life of faithful and moral obedience. She has a chance of being a giver and not a taker in this world. That's what we saw. I'll close with a word about thanksgiving. Jen and I recently talked about preaching in one of our supervisory sessions, and I said that I believe that not every sermon should tell a congregation what to do, and I gave thanksgiving as a good example. When I preach a thanksgiving sermon, my goal usually is not to encourage some action, but to see if we can't have this shared experience of thanksgiving, of thankfulness together. But today I want to end with a slight word of encouragement. This Thanksgiving, don't forget your glasses. Put on the lens of faith. Look at your life and those around you with all of its challenges and troubles, but look with enchanted lens. What is truth, Pilate asked cynically. Maybe this Thanksgiving we can see this truth that God loves this world and all that is in it, and that though we die, we live in Christ, and though we live, we don't live for ourselves, but we give ourselves away, loving others as we have been loved. I think it's true, and what an enchanted way to see the world. Second Presbyterian, Finding Direction by Following Jesus.